as I mentioned before, we're going to look at the life of, of Noah today. And as we just talk about Noah, the first thing going in your mind, right, is, is this movie Noah that came out about four or five months ago. So how many of you saw the movie Noah that came out four or five months ago with Russell Crowe or a good handful of you? Um, just so we're clear, um, that, I mean, just, I mean, wasn't that an accurate presentation of the biblical narrative? I mean, I just was blown away by how, wow, I'm like, Hollywood got it right. Not at all, actually. Um, this week in the office, we, we narrowed it down. We think about 7 to 8%. In fact, I was corrected up at the 8 o'clock service. About 9% um, of that movie was accurate. They got the name Noah right. Um, there is some animals. That's true. There's a boat. Even though it has the wrong shape and dimensions, there's a boat. Um, and there's um, water. There's a flood. Um, that's about the extent that you can take, historically speaking, from the book of, or from the life of Noah, the book of Genesis. I mean, they just get it totally wrong. It would be one of those movies at the beginning that say, this is based on a true event, and then you go back and realize that, okay, that event is true, but everything else surrounding it is, is untrue, and that's kind of the idea of that movie, of that, new, that movie Noah, and that was total fiction, and they even mentioned that, that, hey, they took lots of liberty to make that movie what they thought would be a, a bestseller, and turns out it wasn't, it wasn't at all. In fact, it was terrible in the box office. But that movie was totally made up, and it presented God as this faraway, distant figure, arbitrary, who could care less about what's happening on the earth. And then they present Noah as this insane, evil, um, hate-filled, angry man who is going around and causing havoc and chaos everywhere he goes, which is just totally uh, an, an inaccurate presentation of who God is, number one, but also the, the life of, Mo, of Noah. I mean, the truth is, is God is very concerned about what's happening on our earth. God is very concerned about the life of his people. He's very concerned about um, people and, and their, their total lack of, of godliness in their life. And then he has a specific plan and he has a specific purpose for Noah to fulfill. And Noah's not angry. He's not hate-filled. Noah is going hard after this call that God has placed on his life to, to save the world. To, to heal a broken generation, to, to save his family, to go after it, and to, and to make a change in his generation. I mean, that's really the story of, of God and, and Noah, that there is a God who, who's calling people and has a purpose and a plan for people, and there's Noah who is obedient to that call and is chasing after it with everything that he can. And that's really this character idea that we're going to study over the next few minutes together is Noah's endurance, Noah's obedience to the call that God placed on his life. You know, for us to get a, get a better handle maybe on even Noah and the story of Noah, uh, we have to understand a few things just about Noah, just to kind of level the playing field, level where we are. Uh, but Noah is the 10th generation after Adam. Um, Noah is um, about 1,000 years after the creation of, of Adam and Eve, Noah pops onto the scene. And it's not hard for us to understand, like, why would a rain, why would that freak people out? Why would that? Well, in that day, there was no rain. In fact, as the earth was created, um, they were kicked out of the garden, but the earth was still in this, this really perfect state, if you will, where rain wasn't coming. There was no deserts. There was no famines. It was this plenty. And that was the, the world that people were living in. And people were living hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. 
You say, well, that doesn't make any sense. But if you think about it, before disease, before sickness, in a perfect climate, in people's bodies just lived a long, long time. In fact, Moses' grandfather, Methuselah, the oldest person who ever lived, 969 years, and then the Bible says, and then he died. Um, Noah lived 950 years, and then he died. So at year 500, Noah and his wife start having kids. I think that's genius, by the way. And think of all the life experience you would have um, at age 500. You'd be able just to breeze through these. I have two toddlers, so you'd be able to breeze through these, these stages of your life. You would just know what to say and how to handle it and put out those temper tantrums right away. But Noah at 500 and he and his wife decide to have kids. They had three kids, Ham, Sham, and Japheth. And we'll talk about that in just a little bit. Um, year 600 is when the call of Noah came. That God looked throughout the whole earth and found no one that was worthy, found no one that was actually righteous. And then he finds Noah, and this call is, Noah, you're going to save your family. You're going to save this generation. You're going to make a difference for me. Go and build an ark because I'm going to flood the earth because there's so much evil. I have to destroy what I've created. We have to start again because every thought, every imagination that people are thinking about is only evil, as the old King James said. And that's how I memorized a lot of my scripture growing up. It was only evil continually, and all of this is just an evil, evil place. But Noah, I have a call for you. You're going to fulfill this purpose. You're going to fulfill this plan. So age 600, Noah begins to build the ark, and it takes him 120 years, get that, 120 years to fulfill this calling to, to save his family, to save his generation, to make a difference for God, 120 years to build this ark. And after the, after the flood, after the earth has changed forever, where there's now deserts and it needs rain to, to bring the, the fruit and the vegetables. It's no longer fed just through natural springs or as some commentators, as some people would say, like kind of this greenhouse effect. It needed rain to live. I mean, people's lifespans began to diminish greatly. People were only living um, 120 years at that point. Moses only lived 120 years. So we can begin to relate to those, to those lifespans as they diminish, as they diminish greatly. I, I know what some of you are thinking. You're like, Jared, you really believe this? I mean, come on. 950 years old, Noah lived and then he died? That's fairy tale stuff. That's stuff that I just can't wrap my, wrap my mind around. And I'll be the first person to tell you, I, don't, I can't wrap my mind around 950 years either. Um, I can't wrap my mind around all the exact details. But I know, hey, that it's hard for me to put God into a box and say, okay, you have to fulfill this exact way or then it can't be true. I mean, we begin to diminish God, right, into what he's able to do, what he can do. It's kind of like a story of, of a little girl who was, who was writing a term paper for her class for a public school. And she decided to write this term paper on the life of Jonah. And Jonah's a story where a man gets a call um, to God and he disobeys and does his own thing, rebels and goes into a boat and there's a bad storm. They throw him overboard. He's swallowed by a whale and he lives in the whale for three days and three nights and then spit back onto the earth and goes and does the call of God and the city of Nineveh is rescued and saved and so she's writing this term paper about this. The teacher gets a hold of it and says, oh my, oh my goodness, she's going to get an F. She's going to fail. She says, sweetie, I need you to stay after class for just a few minutes. We need to talk about your term paper. And of course, this little girl is petrified. I mean, she wants a good grade. She wants to make sure her grades are in order. And the teacher just sat her down and said, she said, little girl, I'm going to have to fail you for this term paper. There is no way that a person could be swallowed by a whale or a big fish 
There's no way that a person, a human being, could live for three days and three nights in the belly of a whale. And to top it all off, gets spit back onto dry ground and fulfills this purpose, fulfills this mission in life. There's no way that this could happen. The little girl said, well, I'll tell you what. When I get to heaven, um, I'll just ask Jonah myself if this happened or not. The teacher said, well, what if Jonah didn't go to heaven? The little girl said, well, then you ask him. You ask him what happened. Now, no, no, hold on. Now, I, I don't recommend, I don't think that's the best response to, um, to tell your teacher. But here's what I know. There's just some things that we're going to have to take some faith here. And there's some things that, hey, I still don't even understand. But here's what I know, that Jesus believed in Noah. In fact, Matthew chapter 24, verse 37 Jesus says this, he writes, as, but as the days of Noah were, if Jesus, who predicted his own death, burial, and resurrection, and then that actually happened, and over 500 eyewitnesses attest that Jesus rose from the grave, if that guy believes in Noah and a flood, then I'm with that guy. Now, I'm going to take attention to what, to what Jesus says, to what Peter says, and what the author of Hebrews say, if there is a Noah and there's people in the New Testament, especially Jesus, who believe it, it has my attention. And I think there's some practical advice that we can learn from the life of Noah, of how he heard God's call and how he was obedient to the call that God has for his life. Because that's really what this story is about. It's a story of a loving God who has a plan and a purpose, and he calls Noah and Noah is just obedient and follows through on what God is calling him to do. It takes a massive leap of faith. You know, as Jesus says, but as the days of Noah were, I think we can relate to that. Total wickedness, where every thought, right, every imagination was only evil continually. Jesus is really talking about the end times, just as the days of Noah were. I think we can relate to that. Let me turn on our TV, turn on our, uh, look around in our culture, just see what's happening, put our blinders off and begin to see just the, the immorality, the economic immorality that's still continuing to happen. I mean, little girls being sold into sex slavery each and every day. I mean, terrorism, there's more terrorism happening now in the face of the earth than ever before. I mean, we live in a, a wicked, evil place. I think that we can relate here to what Jesus is saying, just as the days of Noah were, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. And that's why I'm excited about this Daniel series that we're going to begin in a few weeks. As we kind of unwrap and all these end times, all these events that are happening, we'll be able to apply that and understand how we fit, how we move into this whole scenario of the end times. I'm excited for you to, to invite your friends, to pray about who God would have you invite as we kind of just walk through what is God calling us? What is our reaction? What's our response to this end times? There's a guy living in the same culture that we are called Noah. You know, Noah's name, it means rest. And I find that very interesting. That Noah, who heard God's call and begins to live out his purpose, I think that's true for us, that total rest and total peace come when we are totally committed and are fulfilling our purpose that God has given us on this earth. And if Noah were sitting with us today, I think he would tell us that, that you can make a difference, that, that we can make a difference in our life in the midst of all the crazy around us, the character quality of obedience and endurance, 
Isn't it true that there is just incredible peace in knowing what our purpose in life is and what God is calling us to do? And and Noah has some practical advice. He has some, some words for us today. And even for you that I would say, well, Jared, you have no idea what I've done. I can't make a difference. You don't know the type of life that I've lived. You don't know the mistakes that I've made. Jared, if only I were 10 years younger. Jared, if only I were 10 years older and had the margin that I wanted, my bank account to look a certain way, then I can make a difference. But Jared, you're talking to the wrong guy. You're talking to the wrong girl. Jared, there's no way that I can make a difference. You don't understand my reality. You don't understand my life. Let me just tell you today that All of us, regardless of our age, regardless of our background, regardless of our mistakes that we've made, I'm speaking to you today, that you can make a difference. You can make a change, even when you don't have everything figured out. Even with some of the things that God's calling you to do, doesn't make full sense. You can make a difference in your life. Take that step. Take that leap of faith. Hebrews 11.7 just the wall of faith, if you will, where Old Testament characters are on display and it's saying, hey, I want you to get this. I want you to apply it. I want you to listen to it. Hebrews eleven seven tells us this. It should be on the screen behind me. It says, it was by faith that Noah built an ark to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God who warned him about something that had never happened before. And by his faith, he condemned the rest of the world and was made right in God's sight. Noah made a difference by fulfilling his purpose, by fulfilling why he was put on this earth. And friends, you can make a difference. You can change the trajectory of your family. You can change the trajectory of your generation, and you can change the trajectory of what God is doing in this world by stepping out in faith and and being obedient to what he's calling you to do. Let's pick up the story of Genesis chapter 6, as we kind of begin this this journey through the the life of of Noah. Verse five in Genesis chapter six tells us this. It says, the Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth. We can relate to that. That's something that we can put our hands on. The extent of human wickedness on the earth and saw that everything the people thought, everything the people imagined was consistently and totally evil. There's nothing that was good. In a world that was totally godless, had no fear of God, was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry that he ever made them. I mean, this is, I mean, if you're a parent, you get that, right? Those moments when you're like, man, I love my kids, but I brought you into this world. I'm going to take you out of this world. I mean, that's kind of like what he's saying here. God is saying, hey, I love these people. I have a purpose and a plan, but There's no good, and he's using this type of language to drive this point home that, hey, these people are only evil continually. They're not doing anything good. I'm sorry that I ever made them. I'm sorry that I ever put them on the earth, and it broke his heart. And the Lord said, I'll wipe this human race that I've created from the face of the earth. I'll destroy every living thing, all the people, the large animals, the small animals that scurry along the ground, and even the birds of the sky. I'm sorry that I ever made them. In the midst of all of that, look at verse 8. It says, but Noah found favor with the Lord. Noah found favor 
with the Lord. And this is the verse that I want us to be motivated by because Noah is telling us that one person, right, in the midst of chaos, in the midst of confusion, in the midst of not having everything figured out and the evil all around you, that one person can make a difference, that one person can be obedient to a call, that one person can, can shape and be an agent for change that's so desperately needed in our culture and in our world. You can make a difference. We as a church can make a difference. So how do we make a difference? How do we make a difference? So Noah's sitting down. He's giving us three pieces of advice. He's telling us this. He's like, you can make a difference for your family. You can make a difference for your family. Genesis 7.1, it's an interesting verse. It says, the Lord said to Noah, go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous. You alone are righteous. Underline that word you. There's a couple times in that, in that verse that you alone are righteous. I mean, not one time in this verse does it say that your family found favor with God. Not one time does it say that your family was found righteous. In fact, it says only you, Noah, were found, were found righteous. Because here's the idea that when you make a difference, it makes a difference on those around you. It makes a difference on those that are closest to you either for good or, or for bad. You can make a positive difference or you can make a negative difference. You know that. But your life is affecting those who are closest to you. I mean, Dr. Ivan mentioned this last week when he was talking about the courage of Queen Esther. So that your courage can change the destiny of those around you. And I think that's true for every character that we've studied this summer for the faithfulness of Abraham and the generosity of Rebecca and, and the courage of Joshua and the reverence of David, all of these characters that, that we've studied, if we just take that character quality it can, and we apply it to our life, not only does it make a difference for us, but it has the opportunity and the ability to change those who are closest to us. You can make a difference. Acts 16.31 drives the point home a little bit more. Look at this verse. It says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. You and your household. I mean, just circle that word, that word household because some people think, well, if you trust in Jesus, then your family's all set. If you're the mom or you're the dad or you're the grandma or you're the grandpa, then your whole family is, is taken care of. Well, it's actually not what that verse is saying at all. That word household means sphere of influence especially in the Jewish culture where the author of Acts is teaching this to you and writing this about, is that culture, people were, were plugged in in almost every area, right? Is that they, it wasn't just about what was happening personally. That's why faith is never personal. That's why your faith affects those people that are around you. This is the idea that because you have a faith in Christ and because you've been saved, that it can affect your family. It can affect your sphere of influence, Sociologists tell us that our sphere of influence um, ranges about 12 to 17 people um, a week is in our sphere of influence. And that's people that you spend 60 minutes or more with um, on average every week. Um, whether that's people that you report up to or people that you manage or supervise or lead, or your family, um, friends, whoever you spend 60 or more minutes with a week that's considered your sphere of influence. And so most sociologists will tell you that uh, the most you're able to really spend is 12 to 17 people. 
Um, that's how we encourage small groups, by the way, to get good godly influ- influence in your life every single week because we live in a culture, right, that tears us down, that, that destroys what God's trying to do in our life. And that's why we say, hey, get into a lead group. Get, get plugged into Christian community. Have a good sphere of influence around you. But 12 to 17 people is considered our sphere of influence. I, mean, I, I read this statistic this week and was blown away. But the average dad in America spends seven to eight minutes a day with their children. Which means, I cannot believe this, which means that most dads, our kids are in our sphere of influence. How can we have an impact on our family when we're not spending the adequate time needed to have an impact on those around us? And here's what Noah's saying. Noah's saying, hey, I changed the trajectory of my family I changed the trajectory of the sphere of influence that God placed in me because I was just obedient and followed hard and and fulfilled the purpose that God gave me. And yes, that required spending time. And yes, that required investing and, and going out and doing the things that were necessary for my family. But that's the sphere that God has given me, that God is using me to impact and be a difference for. And God is calling the same thing for us, that we have an opportunity, we have a sphere of influence in our life that God is calling us to make a difference in. This is why I'm excited, again, about this series um, coming up in the book of Daniel. In fact, you walked in, you received a bookmark. Take that bookmark out for me. It should be in your bulletin. It should be, uh, maybe they hand it to you at the door, whatever the case is. But you received Days of Future Past, the book of Daniel. And we're encouraging you, over the next three weeks, to write three names down of people that you know are without Jesus, that are in your sphere of influence, that you're going to pray, that you're going to invest, and you're going to invite in to come with you to church in just a few weeks. Why? Because God has given us people in our sphere of influence, and we can make a difference. We can't wait for somebody else to step up and say, well, that's somebody else's job. No, no, no. God is calling us. We can make a difference. We want you to take time today, even in this service. If you're right doing this and not paying attention to me, that's a win for me. That's a win in my book. But write down three names of people that you're going to invest, that you're going to pray for, that you're going to invite to come with you um, as we start this Daniel series after Labor Day. We believe in this. God wants to do a work, and he wants you to make a difference, right, in your sphere, in, in your family. You can make a difference. Moms, dads, brothers, sisters, bosses, cousins, nephews, make a difference. Make a difference for your family. You can make a difference for your generation. That's what Noah would tell us. You can make a difference for your generation. I mean, Noah did. Because he was obedient, because he was obedient to the call that God placed in front of him, he changed his trajectory. We're sitting here today because of Noah. It's an incredible thought. He changed the course of history, he made a difference. I mean, really, he's saying we have a responsibility to make a difference. We have a responsibility to make a difference. Now, if we're not careful, right, we'll be so focused upon ourselves. We'll be so focused upon what we can do to get ahead and making our life more enjoyable and, and how just focused upon our life. And, and don't get me wrong. I mean, God wants us to enjoy life. I'm not saying that. Don't walk out of here and Say something I didn't say. No, God wants us to enjoy life. He's giving us abundant life to live life to the fullest. But there's more to life than just about what we can do and, and how we can get ahead and everything that's good for us. 
That God has a call on our life to make a difference in our generation. That's why I love our purpose statement, our mission statement here at Heartland Church. To love people well, to lead people up, and to launch people out. And that can be woven into every area of our life, not just here on the weekends, on Saturday night and Sunday morning, but we can take that everywhere. Like, how do we love that person that God puts in front of us better today than we did yesterday? How do we love our sphere of influence better? How do we lead our people up into a personal relationship with Christ? And how do we launch people? How do we get people to see their purpose and their mission on earth? How do we launch them out to go achieve the dreams that God's putting inside of them? I mean, that's, that motivates me. And that's why our mission statement takes the focus off of ourself and it puts it on the world around us. I mean, I'm, I'm nearsighted. I'm not quite sure what all of that means, just this nearsighted, farsighted. But what it means is, I mean, from what the doctors tell me, that I can see my Bible and my notes perfectly fine. That's not even an issue for me. But you all right now, without my glasses, you are a big blur of color. I mean, if you were in a wave at me, I would see something, but I, I wouldn't be able to know who it was. Or, but as soon as I put my glasses on, I'm like, whoa, I can see you again. It's amazing. You guys are so beautiful and so happy and so engaged this morning, which, was, is, which is wonderful. Here's the thing. I think some of us, and I'm lumping myself in this, some of us, I think some of us are just nearsighted. Like, we're so focused on what's around us. We're so focused on just my life and what I can do and my job and, and making that next sale, making that next deal, and making um, that next church, starting that next church, that we're blind to what's happening in our generation. We're blind to what's happening and we're blind to what God is calling us to do and it's time we put our glasses on to see the generation as God sees it, a broken world, a world that desperately needs Christ, a world that without Jesus will go to hell and that should motivate us, right? To take the focus off of ourselves and begin to look at a generation that's in desperate need of Jesus because Noah's telling us here that you can make a difference. You can make a difference in this generation. You can change the trajectory of people's eternity, of people's lives. Acts 13, 36, this is a great verse. It talks about David. It says, this is not a reference to David, for after David had done the will of God in his own generation, he died. I don't know about you, but that's how I want to go. After I fulfill God's will for my life, Jared dies. How great is that to be said of King David? I want to love people well. I want to lead people up. I want to launch people out. I want to start more churches than ever before. I want to see more people say yes to Jesus than ever before. Friends, don't wait for someone else to step up. Don't wait for someone else to fulfill the calling and the purpose that God has given to you. Go and make a difference in this generation. You can make a difference. You can make a difference for God, number three. Because the truth is, is God is just looking for somebody to raise their hand and say, yes, God, I'm in. Whatever it looks like, whatever that means, I'm in. I'll go, I'll play, I'll enlist. You can count on me. Second Chronicles 16, nine says this, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro, kind of that whole imagery, right, of, of Noah, that God was looking for somebody and 
There's only evil continually, but in Chronicles it says, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong. That idea to empower us on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. God wants to empower us. He wants to fill us with his Holy Spirit to make a difference for him. But he's looking for people just to step up and say, God, I'll go. Even if I don't understand it, even if it means rain, and we have no idea what rain is in a boat, which we've never needed a boat for anything, all right, God, you're calling me. I'll go. Fill me up. Use me to accomplish something great in your name. Ezekiel tells us this, that God looked for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so he would not destroy it. I think one of the saddest verses in scripture when he says, but I found no one. I found no one. It's almost as God is saying, man, it's hard to find somebody. Yeah, people say they're, they're willing. People say, yeah, God, count me, I'll be obedient. But it has to look like this. It has to make sense this way. God, it has to fulfill and it has to be on my timeline. And I think God's saying, hey, I'm looking for people, but I'm not finding anyone. No one's saying, God, I'll go, I'll do whatever it takes. I'll stand in the gap. I think that gap for us is this broken culture that we find ourselves in now. This broken culture of divorces that are, are, are on an all-time high and, and kids being pulled apart from families and, and, and murder rate in the city of Indianapolis is at an all-time high. I mean, he's looking for people that will say, I'll, I'll stand in the gap. I don't know what that looks like, God, but you're calling me. I'll do it. I'll go. I'll do whatever it takes. Count me in. I, I'm ready to do it. Enlist me. One person, just like Noah, can make a difference in our generation. One person can change the world. You can make a difference for God. You can make a difference in your generation, and you can make a difference in your sphere of influence. So here's what Noah's saying. He said, okay, I said those three things because that's my life, but I have three more pieces of encouragement for you because I know that that's really tough. I know that sounds impossible, but here's, here's three things. Here's some handles that you can grab onto as you say yes, as you're just obedient to God. And he's saying this, number one, don't be afraid. Like, don't be afraid, Jared, to stand alone. I mean, chances are that God is gonna ask us to do something that goes totally against the flow. I mean, right, to be a difference maker, it means that we have to be different. Isn't that true? Let me just say that again. To be a difference maker means that we have to be different. We can't expect to do the same thing over and over and over again and get a different result. And we've all heard that. that that's, that's ridiculous. That's insanity at the highest level. That was Noah's issue, right? He was different. He decided to do something that has never, ever been done before by building a boat because it was going to rain. Even when people were making fun of him, even when people were ridiculing him and people were saying, Noah, you are nuts. Noah just plugged away. Now, I think it would have been easy for Noah, truth be told, I think it would have been easy for Noah um, at year um, one or two. I mean, you just heard from the Lord and you're going to plow away. You're going to go ahead and start building. 
But think of year 87. <laughs> How difficult would that be for Noah just to continue day after day hearing the naysayers, hearing, and, and there's no sign of rain, there's no clouds, all this is still brand new. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. What about year 110? 119, still doing it day after day after day. Being a difference maker means we have to do something different. We have to go against the flow. Noah wasn't afraid to stand out in the crowd. He took it because God had a plan and a purpose for his life. And Noah was just one step in front of the other. I'm just going to be obedient. Whatever it is you're asking me to do, God, I'm going to plow away. I'm going to do it. When God calls you, don't be afraid to stand alone. Even when it comes to work. Jared, everybody else is doing it. If I, if I don't do this, well, what will people think? When it comes to gossip that just flares up and say, well, Jared, if I don't join him, what will people think? Don't be afraid just to, to stand up to go against the flow. In fact, Proverbs 29 tells us that fear of man will prove to be a snare, right? It's a deadly trap. It's a dangerous trap. But trusting the Lord means safety. If God's called you, be willing to stand alone, be willing to go. Also, you need to be willing to try something for the first time. Don't be afraid to try something for the first time. That's number two. God's going to ask you to do something that's never been done before. You've got to be more concerned about pleasing God than pleasing people. I mean, we talk about that. But chances are God's going to call you to do something that's never, ever been done before. I mean, I think that's true for me. I mean, we just had, this past week here at Heartland, we had what's called the Converge um, Assessment Center, the network that we're involved in where 15 church planners that are going to go all across the country actually came to Heartland Church this past week and they were assessed by ministry leaders, by um, converged church planning professionals that, that really assess them, that do find out about their marriage, that they do, do assessments, and they preach sermons, and they cast vision, and they get immediate feedback and approval to go. We had people here from Wisconsin, Nashville, um, all over the country that will be starting converged churches. It's an incredible thing. Two years ago, my wife and I came here to Heartland for the Converge Assessment Center, and two years ago, you would have told me, Jared, um, two years later, you'll be the executive pastor of Heartland Church. I mean, I would laugh in your face. That was not on the radar. That was not what I was thought, how God was going to move and, and maneuver in our life. But we were just obedient to God called us to Indianapolis. The opportunity to serve here at Heartland Church came open, and Pastor Darren and I immediately just had this relationship and loved working for him and under his leadership. And the opportunity said, Jerry, we, we think that you're the guy to be our executive pastor. I have no idea. Smart people that are, that are mentoring me and encouraging me, but it's just really taking that step and saying, God, you're calling me. I know it, it's, it's, it's there. I'm going to be obedient to what you're calling me to do, and God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to rely upon you, even when I feel inadequate, and even when I don't know the right step, I'm going to trust you. And that's the story of Noah. He just was willing to do something for the first time, even when it didn't even make sense to him personally. He was just obedient. He wasn't afraid. It was that giant leap of faith, and that's why he's in the Hall of Fame of faith in Hebrews 11:7. 7. Just read that again. It says, by faith, Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood, he obeyed God who warned him about things that had never happened before. 
And by his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world and received the righteousness that comes by faith. And faith is that leap. Faith is saying, okay, God, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to do whatever that looks like. And some of you today need to take that leap. Some of you today, God is calling you. He is speaking to you. And you know what he's telling you to do. And some of you, it just requires a step of faith. It requires that leap and say, God, I'm going to believe you. I know you have a plan and a purpose. And I'm just going to be obedient to what you're calling me to do. And maybe he's telling you today, step up. Go. Don't waste another minute. Take that risk. Go after it with everything that you have. Maybe he's telling you today to to stop. Stop what you're doing. Stop that habit. It's destroying your life. It's, It's causing friction. Stop it. Maybe he's telling you today to get out. Now, he's not telling you to get out of your marriage. It's not, it's not what he's telling you to do. But he may be saying, hey, get out of that relationship that you know you shouldn't be involved in. Get out of that thing that's holding you down, that's a chain around your ankle, that's bringing you down. Get out. Maybe he's telling you today to start. Don't put it off. Be a difference maker. Go be the change. Go make a change. You see what needs to be done. Go fill the gap. Go. Then Noah would tell us as we come to a close, he would tell us this. He would say, trust, it takes time. Trust takes time. As you think about the story of Noah, right? Noah hears a call and just goes. Doesn't argue, just moves as fast as he can and just one after the other builds this ark. We read Genesis 6, 5 through 8, but look at verse 9. It says, this is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man. He was the only blameless person living on the earth at the time. And he walked in close fellowship with God. Why don't you circle that word, walked? I think sometimes we get this call from God and we know what God's calling us to do and we just want to figure out the fastest way to make it work and off we go. We sprint and try to finish it. Noah walked with God. My wife is training for a marathon. She did 17 miles yesterday. I mean, she's a beast. She's making it happen. And I'm amazed. Like, the other night we went for a run, just a quick three-miler to walk around. And I'm not in the best shape of my life. I'm going to be the first person to admit that. But we're, walk, we're running out there. She's like, hey, let's, let's, talk. let's have a conversation. I'm like, ah, ah, I can't. This is too bad. You're in the best shape of your life. You can have a conversation, but I can't. But let's walk. Because when I walk with you, I can hear you. When I walk with you, I can respond to you. When I walk with you, I'm able to have this communication process happening. Noah walked with God. Some of us are moving so fast, trying to accomplish so much, that God's calling us today says, just slow down. Turn it from 100, go to 10. I'm speaking to you, but you you can't even hear me because you're moving too fast. Just slow down. Listen to me. And as Noah walked with God, he heard. He heard what God wanted him to do. And as he heard God's call, he obeyed. It took him 120 years to build this ark. It didn't happen overnight. 
It was the process. But through that process, you know something? He made a difference for his family. He made a difference in his generation. And he made a difference for God. And today God is speaking to you. The Holy Spirit has revealed something to you. And he's saying, hey, listen, I want to do something in your life. I'm calling you to do this. Just slow down. Enjoy the journey that I have for you. Because I want you to make a difference. I want you to be an agent of change. I want you to do something great with your life. So what's the Holy Spirit saying to you today? What's he calling you to do? Listen to his voice. And then go after it. As hard as you can. Don't be afraid to stand alone. Don't be afraid to try it. And remember that trust takes time. Will you bow your head and close your eyes with me? Maybe today you would say, Jared, that's me. (laughs) The Lord is speaking, and for some reason, I'm not obeying. I'm not going after it. He's speaking to you today. He wants to do something great in your heart and in your life. He needs you to, just to say yes. Listen to his voice and respond. And maybe today you would say, Jared, I just need to take that first step. I'm not even walking with God. I've kept God at arm's length, trying to do my life my own way and Today, I just need to be obedient to what he's calling me to do, and that's just to say yes. That's to begin a personal relationship with him. And if that's you today, why don't in your heart just say, yes, God. Admit to him that you're sorry for not trusting him, that you're sorry for trying to do life your own way, and and then just confess the Lord Jesus with your mouth and say, yes, God, that's me. I believe you have a plan for me. I believe you have a purpose for me. I'm putting you first place in my life. I'm giving you all of me. Say, yes, God, that's me. God is speaking to our hearts. Take the first step. Make a difference. He wants to use you. He wants to empower you to fulfill a purpose in this world. So Holy Spirit, we just say thanks. Thanks for what you're doing in the life of your people. Thanks for the life of Noah and how we can just take these practical steps and apply them to our life. Lord, we hold nothing back from you. We trust you regardless of what that looks like. We ask these things in your holy name. We praise you, Jesus. Amen and amen.